0: Let's look together in Mark chapter number six. Look with me in verse number 34. It's speaking of Jesus, and this is what Mark writes. Mark 6 34, it says, When he went ashore, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and the villages and buy themselves something to eat. Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. There were about 10,000 people there, by the way. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii, which is about eight months of an average salary? Shall we spend eight months of an average salary here in Palestine worth of, and buy bread and give it to them to eat? That's their, their response. They're like, are you, are you serious, Jesus? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them to all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven. And said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. Say miracle. Miracle. That was weak. Say miracle. Miracle. There you go, because it was a mind-blowing one and we'll see it in just a bit. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, say, exceeding abundantly above. Exceeding abundantly above. Twelve baskets extra. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000, the Greek says males, men. So you got 5,000 men, and you've got unnumbered amounts of women and children all in a group, and they are following Jesus and following the disciples. That's the context for everything we're going to share today. But the message is not really meant to be a historical lesson in what happened 2,000 years ago. Nor is today's message meant to be strict Bible interpretation where we get bogged down on nuances. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that this is going to be about 90% application to our lives today. In other words, we're going to look at what happened, we're going to go through it, and we're going to answer the question, what do we do with what we can learn from this passage of Scripture today? And so I hope that you'll join me in this this morning and that your heart will be content to really think about um, just where you are in the, in the realm of giving, and not just your money. And this, my motivation will not be to make you feel guilty if you're not being faithful in this area i will leave all of that work to the holy spirit conviction is far more healthier than guilt and but my role will be this for some one of the things we forget is there are people that are coming into an understanding of the kingdom all the time and literally what we used to take for granted about giving some people have no clue they've never ever heard it before and so i'm preaching to an audience that has very mature givers that are generous, that are eager, that pray, that seek the Lord, that love to give. Then we've got givers that are primarily disciplined and faithful and consistent. They're not necessarily blowing it out, but they're saying, I want to be honorable in what I do with my finances. Then you've got some that are a little less thoughtful about it. It's like, oh, the basket's coming um, here, and they just put something in, and it's more of an afterthought. And then, quite frankly, there are people who know to give, but just choose not to. And they're living in a perpetual state of just disregarding this area primarily because they don't understand what good comes through giving and therefore it feels like a loss when they're called to give. And then, as I mentioned earlier, there are some that just never have really been taught. And so, let's see what we can learn today in this message on kingdom supply. So, let's go back up into verses 34 through 37, and let's just go ahead and acknowledge something that's true about every person in the room. What is it? It's the reality of our limited resources. You may be rolling in here. You may be as, as just blessed in your finances as anybody else in the room, you could have it coming out your ears. But I'm gonna tell you, even you have a limitation. There is a place that you can go and know further with what you have because you can only operate in giving with what you have within your power. So from the least wealthy in the room to the most wealthy, there is the reality of our limited resources. And not all of those resources, by the way, are financial. I'm gonna give you three different places in this passage, where God makes a draw on your life. Three different places, and then we'll talk about money. Here's the first one. The first one is God makes a draw on our love. Look with me in verse number 34. The Bible says, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had, there's the word, compassion upon them. Why? Because when he saw them, he saw them, and to him they looked like sheep that were unshepherded. And so his response to his compassion and his seeing the scattered people who had no shepherd over them, no leader, no provider, no protector, nobody who was guiding them on the right paths in the kingdom, Jesus looked on them and his heart is moved. That's one of the things that I think in the hustle and bustle of your life and my life, we need to stop and slow down and remember this, and it's a grand understatement, but I'm going to say it. Jesus is a feeler. He's not simply the, you know, the miracle-working rabbi. He's not merely the Lamb of God. He's also the Son of Man who feels for people. He loves them. The word there in the Greek translated compassion is a Greek word that I can't pronounce, but it indicates the innards. It is where we get our word spleen from. And so this is what we could apply it. Jesus, when he looked at those people, he felt it deep in his gut. Let me give you a little four instance. By the way, y'all need to relax. Y'all, y'all are looking really, really intense. I, he's he's going to teach on money. Y'all are uh, just unclench and just exhale, okay? This is, this is more than just money. This is talking about heart issues. Um, most parents would, would recognize this moment. There are times where you will look at your children as they're growing up. Grandparents, you would get it too. And in a moment, the profound sense of love for that child in a moment. They're doing something, they're usually not aware, and we're looking at them, and our heart just goes, oh, because we love them so much, we feel it in our gut. Jesus looked on the crowd that day, looked at all of those people, and in his gut, he's going, oh, I love them. I love them. I love them. And one of the things that I am just recognizing more and more, the, the longer I travel with Jesus, is that, he is not as interested in our accomplishments as he is in the level of our love. He is far more intentionally working on on, on reproducing his heart in us than he is his hands on us. He, He wants us to feel like he feels and see as he sees. We're gonna find out very quickly that the disciples weren't feeling it that day. But Jesus was, why? Because he looked at these people and he knew. In a very limited amount of time, he's probably a year away from giving his life on the cross. In a very limited amount of time, two years in, one year to go, these are people that still have nobody shepherding them under the heart of the Father. I don't believe it's realistic for you or I to to declare ourselves disciples and followers of the Lord if we're not willing for God to make repeated draws on our love. There is the propensity in all of us, because raise your hand if you've ever been burned in life. Man, half of y'all are lying. You've never, and what I mean by being burned is done wrong, betrayed, abandoned, lied about, talked about, now raise your hand. Okay, there we go, much more accurate representation. There, there's a tendency when that happens, we'll start, we'll back off our heart from people, even if we're still engaged in the same behaviors, we'll back off our hearts from people. What Jesus is wanting us to realize, that if we're going to follow him, if we're going to be involved in this process of kingdom supply, where he is releasing heavenly attributes to us all the time, and we're receiving them to release them on other people, it's going to require a consistent draw on our love. He actually wants us to feel about others like he feels about others. And we don't always necessarily have the capacity to cooperate. Well, what does that look like? Well, let's look at it from the disciples as we move through this. The second place where he's going to make a draw, not only our love, but in our time, look at verse 35, it grew late and his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. So they're doing like a lot of us who follow Jesus. Um, Jesus is preaching. The Bible says in the verse above that he began to teach them. I do find that interesting, by the way. That he had compassion, he was moved, and what was his action that stemmed from that compassion? He began to speak the kingdom into their lives. He began to tell them about the kingdom. He began to preach to them, and then the sermon went on a long time. Have you ever been under a preacher who preaches a long time? Might be a couple around here, but he he, he went on, and the the disciples were doing like a lot of us do. They're looking at their watches, so to speak. Peter pulls up his new Apple iWatch, and he's saying, "Ah ahem! Point number three started two hours ago, Lord. What was going on? It was growing late. The day was going on and on and on. And we're going to find out in a minute that there's actually a good reason why the the disciples seem to be getting a little impatient with what was going on that day. But the statement, there's two chronological statements. It grew late in verse 35, and then again, the hour is now late. That was their testimony to Jesus. We don't find anybody in the crowd complaining it, by the way. Uh, no, nobody in the seats was, was complaining about it. It's usually the leaders. Usually the leaders are like, yeah, we've heard this sermon before, man. Come on, come on, wrap it up. And that was what was going on there. Now, I, I just want to say this. Just remember, most of this is application. This is not deep theology this morning. It doesn't have to be. The reality is, is kingdom supply. It's not only the Lord requiring of you that he's going to supply you love that you can pour out on others, even when in your flesh you don't want to. But but kingdom living requires your time. It, it actually requires an investment an intentional investment of your time, that we cannot be disciples of Jesus and yet have our lives slammed with all sorts of other activities that may not have much to do with the kingdom at all. And, and also, I will say this, because most people say, yeah, I got to get down to the church to serve. Well, that's messed up. You know why? Because you're only here once or twice a week. And what about the other five days and 24 hours in those days? Service is not primarily i got to go to the church and do something. It would be great if you did serve here because we have tons of opportunities and tons of needs. But the reality is everywhere we go, we need an increasing awareness of what are we doing with our time. A lot of us in the room feel like we have more liberty with our money than we do with our time. If you ask me what the thing I feel like I have the least of, it is time. And yet that is the very thing that all of ministry, all of kingdom, everything that God is doing on planet Earth is happening in the realm of time. And if we're going to get in on it to be able to receive from him and to pour out on others in the kingdom, then we have to say, I've got to say this time belongs to him. And so it may be a greater awareness wherever you're going about your business during the day. Or it may literally be where you look at your calendar and you say, nothing takes this spot. This is my intentional time to do something proactively for the Lord. The disciples knew one thing. And by the way, these were not slackers. These disciples had been there all day, they were ministering the day before, the day before that, the day before that, for two years, and so these were not people that were, you know, propping their feet up and just, you know, eating couscous all the time. These were individuals that were pouring it out for Jesus, but now the day was getting late. So what's the big deal? Well, listen, when it comes to our heart, our love, and our time, that's our availability, these two things are connected to the third thing that I want to tell you before we talk about money. What is the third thing? When God makes a draw on our servanthood. Now watch this. Everybody loves the idea of a servant, but you know where you are on the servant spectrum when people treat you like a servant. That's where you begin to know whether you're a servant or not is when they treat you. Everybody, yes, servant of the Lord. And then somebody says, hey, get over here and do this. And you're like, hey, who do you think you're talking to? Well, I thought I was talking to a servant of the Lord. That didn't cost you anything extra, man. That would not even the notes or anything. Watch this, though. And I'm just going to be transparent here because this is me. This is me in verse 36 more often than I wish I could admit. It's a draw on our servanthood. Listen to what the disciples said. Send them away. Send them away. Send them away into the surrounding countryside and the villages and let them buy themselves something to eat. Okay, so Jesus is groaning in compassion over the people without a shepherd and he's pouring into them. And the disciples are watching the sun setting over there. And let me tell you how it works. They're thinking, if he doesn't dismiss this service, we're going to be stuck with this crowd all night long. So I can just see one of them slipping in. Forgive my cynicism here. It may be right. It may not be. I don't know, but it's just where I am right now. They, they, they approach the Lord. let say, Lord, these poor people, they are hungry. They, we, they need to eat. Now we love what you're preaching right here. You're in the zone, Lord. I, I tell you we could listen to this all night long, but the people, the people. Can can we go ahead and just dismiss the service and, and send them away? Now, I know that is a little skeptical, a little jaded, a little cynicism, but it may be a little true. Because the reality is when you are walking in the kingdom and you've committed your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And no matter if you're a ditch digger, a banker, a stay-at-home mom, or a retiree, but you know that who you are and what you do is for the glory of the Lord, and you're being intentional about it, you find out pretty quickly the needs never stop. They never, ever, ever stop. It's, it's really hard to feel um, and, and cooperate with that draw on your servanthood. How, say amen if you're a young mother with a young child in the room today. Okay, so this one's for you, ladies. Here we go. It's great, you know, at 8 a.m., and little cutie pie wakes up, and everything's happy and good for like 30 minutes, and then something begins to happen. And it is this draw on your servanthood that comes in the expression of, Mommy! 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 And five hours later, it's still coming at you. It's kind of hard to feel like you're doing anything for the kingdom in that moment, isn't it? Because it just feels like, a little savage screaming out your name nonstop. <laughs> People hate it when I call babies savages, but they got to get saved. Nobody had to teach their kid how to disobey, amen? They just, they just know how to do it. The reality is this, is that whether it's a mom, whether it's a minister, whether it is you at work, the Lord continues to draw on that servanthood. And there's something within all of us that just says, even those precious kids, just send them away for a few minutes. Call grandma mom. Just do somebody cut me off from this incessant need. And the disciples are just like us. I, I would like to paint a prettier picture, but, and I don't have time to really go over it, but if you went back to verse number 31, this is what you find out. That they were actually supposed to be on a snapshot of a sabbatical. Jesus had said to the 12, hey, you've been working hard, you're, you're, you're tired, how about me and you guys, let's go away for a little bit by ourselves. This whole scene that was ended up being a crowd of, let's just say, seven to 8,000 people, this whole scene came on their day off. And, and Jesus didn't protect them from it. Jesus just seemed to just go in the moment, and he's ministering, and the disciples are like, we have been here all day. Send them away, Lord. They need to eat. And so all of this, why am I telling you all this? I'm trying to shatter the illusion that kingdom living doesn't require anything. That is the myth of our generation, the myth of the last 40 years in churchianity. And, and, and pseudo-kingdom communication has been, come to Jesus, he takes care of everything, and nothing's required of us. And it's just a lie. He saves us, and we add nothing to it. You would try to add something to it, and you lose it. It's forfeited. But when you come to him and you realize that he has paid it all, that's the part that he does everything for you. Then he supplies grace for everything else. But the idea, the mythological notion that the Christian life requires nothing of us has led to countless people becoming disillusioned, losing their minds, losing their zeal, losing their hope. Why? Because the Lord is making draws on them. And they were told that all he does is make deposits. And so when they feel the draw, they say, I didn't sign up for this. Now, the disciples are made of sterner stuff than that. But here's where we are now given kind of... It's like these little creeks are now running into the river. And the river is where Jesus is going to teach them about this issue of kingdom supply in the realm of the material and the financial. And so this is where I want us to grow. So they've just said... Sunsetting Jesus, send them into the village, they can feed themselves, the day is over. And now look in verse number 37, because this is where he makes a draw on our money. Might have better said on our resources, but he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Let me tell you what the Lord's doing here. The Lord is facilitating a crisis. He's fostering a dilemma for the disciples. He has set up a situation to where their backs are against the wall, and then he gives them, he lays upon them what sounds like a very unreasonable command. He's telling them that the 8,000 to 10,000 people that are there on the hillside, yes, my disciples, I agree, they are hungry, but I'm not going to send them away. He says, "Peter, James, John, Philip, hey, you other guys, come here. Go feed that crap. Go feed them." Now they do what a lot of us do when all of a sudden we're made aware that the Lord is making a draw on our finances. What do they do? They start counting, and they start saying, "We don't have enough money." We don't. That's a knee-jerk reaction. You're the Lord. You don't need anything. You you do it for us. And, and the Lord could could not Jesus have made manna rain down from heaven? There's kind of a precedent for that. Could he not have made quail appear? He could have served them filet mignon. He could have done anything he wanted, needed nobody's help whatsoever. He could have fed every single one of them without anybody's help. But the heart of the Father is that when he wants to engage in kingdom supply, he wants to partner with us for it. That sometimes we presume upon God to do something for us independently of us. Well, God's saying, no, I want to do it for you, through you. And so he wants our involvement, and so he tells them, you feed them. Well, that brings us to the second of the three points. What is this process? Because now we have the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ telling the disciples, I want you to give. I want you to meet the need. Their immediate protest is we can't afford to do that. I'm just stripping it down from all of the religious stuff. That's the bottom line. He's saying give. They're saying we don't have enough to give. And Jesus is now going to instruct them on this process of kingdom supply that hasn't changed. That These foundational components of giving and receiving in the kingdom have not changed. They are still in play. And by the way, for those of you that are givers, you know they work. These things work when we are doing it with a heart that's unto the Lord. So what does it look like? First of all, I love what Jesus does because it doesn't feel spiritual. It just seems very reasonable. He teaches them that they need to know clearly what they have available. Look in verse number 38. He said to them, because their last thing was a protest, we don't have enough money to go buy all this food you want. He says, how many loaves do you have? So he gets their eyes off of their money, and he gets their eyes on the actual issue, which is the need for food. How many loaves do you have? And he says, go and see. And then they come back to him, and they said, we've got five loaves and two fish. I kind of like this. Sometimes I just let my sanctified imagination help me walk through a narrative. So if I'm the disciples, this is what I'm thinking. I just said, Jesus, I don't have any money to go buy all these people the food. And Jesus says... Why don't you go find out what's out there? And this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, oh, he knows, he's omniscient. He knows that there's a bunch of food out there. We're going to go checking boxes out here. We're going to bring back some food. And so the disciples are probably thinking, okay, this is a test of our faith and obedience. We're, the food's already out there. You've, all, you've heard preachers say this, right? We're going to take up an offering day. God's not short of money on heaven. It's right here in this building. It's all in your wallets. You've heard a preacher say that before? Are y'all with me today? Please don't leave me on this lonely message by myself, okay? <laughs> Please help me, Lord. So they're saying, okay, we're going to go look through. And so they're making their way through the crowd. You know, thousands of people. It would have taken a minute. And, and they're not finding anything. And one of them has to walk back to Jesus, some hijacked sack lunch from a third grader. Yeah, we, we, we did what you told us to do. Jesus is like, what do you got? Five pieces of bread and two salted sardines. That's all we got. It's not in the scriptures, but Jesus would have said, that's plenty. That's plenty. That's plenty. I I want you to, this is so practical, it's not even going to feel spiritual, but it's not as mundane as just financial counsel here. One of the most important things for all of us to do regularly is to know clearly what we have available to give. We actually have to look at our finances intentionally, and we have to address, what do I have in the power of my hand to give? What is in my ability to give? Now, I'm not going to give you a long legal code about what you can do, what you can't do, what you shouldn't do, how much, what percentage, where it needs to go. That's not my purpose here today. The Holy Spirit is a much better preacher to you on what you need to do with your finances. But let me tell you the one thing he will never tell you. He will never tell you that you don't have to give. Never. Never. That's a message the Holy Spirit does not preach. And the reason why is this, because in Scripture, it teaches that we all must participate in giving. Why? Because it is an act of our worship. Friends, when Jesus was talking about the rivalry for the loyalty of our hearts, he mentions repeatedly two potential places for us to fully give our hearts to. He says, God or money. And he says, you can't give yourself fully to both. He said, you'll end up hating one and loving the other and loving one and hating the other. And so one of the acts that we do in our worship and expression of our gratitude and dependence to God is that we release. Why? Because we've received. What does a man have that he has not received? And if he has received it, why does he act like he hasn't received it? Everything I've got, everything I've got, everything you've got is a gift from the Lord. You shouldn't feel guilty about it. More than 50% of the world, 53% of the world today lives on less than $2 a day. So you are loaded. You are rolling. By world global comparisons, if our friends in third world countries, our brothers and sisters in third world countries looked at us and we said, Yeah, man, I can't give. I just can't give. I don't, and, and we're living at the level that we're living, and we're telling them that we can't give, they'd be like, brother. What are you saying? Because they understand that the paradigm in the West, the affluent, 21st century, technologically advanced West, we have so many things that we want to grab and buy and keep. When God has has called us to live within our means in the way that we can live generously into the kingdom. And so he says here, look in verses 39 and 40. It's the second step in the process first know what you have available and by the way if you don't have anything available listen it it, it sounds hard you need to adjust your life man i'm feeling the holy spirit on this because you it could actually be the will of the lord that you realign your life so that you can give instead of spending another year saying i can't give while your life maintains the level of living that is more than sufficient. Um, God may actually call you to downsize. <gasps> <laughs> Blasphemies. Well, only if you're serving the God of this world. He may actually call you, call you to downsize. I couldn't do that. Well, what's your obedience worth? I, I mean, I'm trying to take us to like what's the conversation that's going to happen at the judgment seat of Christ. When the Bible says I'm going to give an account for everything I did in my body, I don't want to, I'd rather have the uncomfortable conversation now with the pastor <laughs> as he's preaching to me than to stand before the Lord and say, yeah, I, I just, I really couldn't afford to give. I'm saying, could you have moved into a smaller house or bought a used car or shopped at Penny's instead of Nordstrom? Come on. What about that handbag at Kohl's instead of coach? Uh oh. (laughs) Y'all are just saying amen and laughing because I haven't found out what your deal is yet, you know. (laughs) I got mine too. Listen. Listen, this is not this is not about judgment. It is it is meant to provoke us to think. Because we can all give. But we may not all be able to give at the level that God wants to bless us through until we make some changes in our life. And so he said, how many loaves do you have then? Very quickly, verses 39 and 40, he gives them something to obey. No explanation, just a command. Verse number 39, he commanded them all to sit down in groups in the green grass. And so they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. Now listen, just very briefly here. This is just an illustration of Jesus not going full disclosure with what he was about to do. He didn't say to the disciples, now here's what I'm going to do so that what I'm about to command you starts making sense. He doesn't say it to the people. He's the Lord, and he gives a command, zero explanation. He just establishes his authority, and it's an opportunity for them to respond in kingdom submission. In other words, we don't have to know why, we know what, and we're going to obey. Why is that important? Now, this this isn't glamorous in the kingdom. This isn't glamorous. This isn't, wow, supernatural. This is soldier stuff in the kingdom. And any of you that have been in the military know that when a higher rank gives you a command, it's really not an opportunity for discussion. Right? Got any servicemen and women in the room? you, you you, you You don't ask your drill sergeant to chat during boot camp. You just obey. Why? Because that authority brings with it something you need. You don't know that you need it. It's going to require something of you, but you've learned to salute the rank. And so in this moment here, Jesus is breaking them down into groups of 50 and 100, and nobody knows why, but he knows what he's about to do. What is he doing? He's giving a commandment. He's giving them an opportunity to respond in obedience and submission, but he's also doing this thing that a lot of us don't like. It's called organization. A lot of people think that when organization comes in, the spirit leaves, And that is wrong. It's absolutely wrong. Now, we don't make a God out of organization, but we'd have to remove large chunks of our Bible if we didn't think that God believed in and ordains uh, organization. He is a God of order. And so he knows what he's about to do, and he's saying, all right, groups of 100, groups of 50, get them all spread out. Why? Because he wants to set up things in a way that he can meet the need, and he wants to do it with the cooperation of his people. What does that have to do with you and me? Well, friends, listen. I understand that we like to move in the flow I get it we, we just want God to do you know what God wants to do and we have a lot of unthought through cliches that come off our lips get into our churches our lives and our ministries and they're, they're not always inspected as to whether or not they're biblical. That we literally have to be organized, especially when things are growing, as a mission base, as a church, we have to be organized. We have to budget. We have to do things so that we can know what do we have in our hand to be able to commit to and what do we need to, where do we need to pray from to get to where God wants us to be. And so that requires organization. It requires budgeting. It requires planning. I'm not on the finance committee. I don't want to be, I never want to be again. I did finance for years, so you're thinking, he's just preaching this so he can get him a little extra you know what. No, I'm gonna get my paycheck no matter what you give unless all of y'all just quit giving. The reality is this, we give because it is an expression of our worship and our confidence and our trust in who God is and it's an evidence of our participation in what he's doing. He's doing something. And so we have people that are much more gifted. We have a whole team of people that look at what we give and they steward it and they make sure that it gets in the right place and we make cuts and we want to be good stewards of what God gives. Why? Because he's worthy of our excellence in handling the money, but we also want our testimony as leaders, as the broad base of leaders, to say to you, when you give, it's going to be handled as unto the Lord, so you release it and you trust not only him, but you trust the church. Sometimes it just boils down to, and it doesn't sound glamorous, but sometimes when you release it, you're just trusting the rank. You're just saying, I'm trusting the people that are appointed. The good thing is about this. I have never released money into the kingdom that is attached to me giving account for what people did with it. What do I mean by that? In other words, I give it unto the Lord, and it's his. And what happens to it after that is on those people, whoever they may be. And thank God it's been my history that I've I've worked with people that really know what they're doing in that. But the reality is if there ever came a point where they didn't do well with it, listen, my accountability is to the Lord. I'll I'll give an account for what I gave, but not how others might have used that. So that helps break down some of that maybe even warranted suspicion in our generation because we've all heard of leaders and churches and televangelists that have fleeced the flock. So go down into verse number 41. We're almost done. Y'all still with me? Don't, Don't tune out now. (laughs) release in confidence all that he requires verse 41 so this is where we learn how jesus did it jesus took the five loaves and the two fish and he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing probably a traditional hebrew blessing from a rabbi and he broke the loaves and gave the loaves to his disciples to set before the people and he divided the two fish among them all so here's just a very simple expression of our heart posture when we give. And I've already alluded to it, so I'm I'm not going to hunker down here. I I think it's just appropriate, and it, it may feel even routine at the beginning, but can I just, let me pastor us for a minute. Don't just write a check. Don't just text to give. Don't just online give, click the button. Jesus took what he had, and he paused before the Father. He paused before the Father, and there's some act of gratitude and acknowledgement of what he had been entrusted with, and then he pronounced his blessing on it and then released it. It speaks to me about my posture in giving. Um, I can only give my family's testimony when it comes to giving, but Right after I got saved, and I mentioned earlier, I was saved out of a really bad life, and most of my money went to terribly unprofitable things. So when I got saved, you know, I wasn't blowing my money in bars anymore, and I had money, and I knew as a Christian I should do something. And the guy that led me to Christ was my boss. And so a month or two after I was saved, probably about four weeks after I was saved, I went to Scott and I said, Hey, man, I'm not getting drunk anymore. I'm not blowing my money anymore, but I'm having a hard time paying my bills. And he said, well, bring me your finances and let's go over them. And so I brought him my finances, my bills. We went over them, it took about an hour. And I showed him what I was giving and he was my boss, so he knew what I made. He said, oh bro, here's the problem. I'm like, what? He said, you're just tipping God. And that's the way he talked. I mean, he, was, he did not mess around. He, wasn't, he, he did not care about my feelings. And he's like, you're just tipping God, man. You're just throwing a little money in there. He said, you need, and this is what I was taught. I'm not laying this on anybody else. He said, you need to tithe off the gross of your pay, put that in every week, and then give on top of that. And I'm thinking, send him away, Lord. Send (laughs) send him away. Send him away. The day is far gone, and the sun is setting. You know, I was like, come on, man. I was like, what, a 200 denarii worth of whatever, you know. That, that was my heart, but I trusted him, and so I, I began to do it. That was in 1994, and I've, 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 I've sought to grow and build upon that every few years, and to this day, I can tell you, the only times where my family has had any financial difficulties is when I did something stupid, when I borrowed or spent in ways that were not prayed through. So now when I give, and it may not be every time, I'm not a legalist about this, but now when I give, and I still give the old-fashioned way, I write a check to the church, I do it um, to the best of my ability all the time. I'm faithful in giving. I actually checked with our financial secretary yesterday. I said, is my giving in line with my income? I wanna make sure I'm doing that as unto the Lord. And so I, I, I just stop and I just say, God, thank you. I am sheltered, I am clothed, I am fed. I have more than I need. And by the way, most of you do too. That's not boasting. That's just being honest. We have more than we need. And I don't feel badly about that. I'm not feeling guilty about that. I'm thanking him for it. And then as I give acknowledgement, I release it. And it makes giving more than adding New Bridge Church to my list of bills. Because it's not about the church being somebody I owe. I give through the church unto the throne because he's the one that released it in the first place. And friends, I promise you, if you can be intentional about that and ask the Holy Spirit to just guide you in how to give, it becomes fun. It actually becomes fun because every now and then the Holy Spirit will say, I'm going to stretch you. I'm I'm going to challenge you a little bit. And you actually begin to hear him. And there's no guilt. And there's no condemnation. And you you don't give more when you sin worse that week. You don't pay off. It's not a payoff or a payback. It's all been paid for. And God welcomes you to enter into the process. And so we release it in confidence. So here's the results. And I really am done. The results of kingdom supply. What is the end result? Well, let's just take it from the text. First of all, sufficiency and contentment. So they all pass out the bread and the fish we didn't even hunker down over that miracle I mean what did that look like he's got got five pieces of bread and two fish and thousands of people were fed he said well Jeff tell me how that happened Jesus Jesus that's how it happened no 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 really tell me no I'm telling you that's how it happened you know, nobody else is talking about it. Peter discipled Mark. Mike, Mark's writing the story. So if Peter knew, he would have told Mark, and I bet Mark would have said something. Peter probably didn't know. They're just passing out fish. And everybody ate. The men have got crumbs in their beards. They're laid back. They got little, these little salted sardines, and everybody's eaten one. There's food everywhere and fragments everywhere. And satisfied, content people everywhere. What's the lesson from that? There was a little boy that day who just released his lunch to the disciples who put it in the hand of the master and the master lifted it up to the father and the father did something and everybody got fed. Every every need was met. Every need supplied. Do you believe that God can still do that? Let's just keep it on a mission based realm here. Let's let's don't go global right now. would Be another time for that. Do you believe that every need in this mission base can be fully supplied with plenty left over if we will all release our five loaves and two fishes? I absolutely believe that. I don't think that, I don't know that there's ever been a church that has hit 100% on every person with a little childlike joy of a third grader saying, I've got a little bit here, I'll release it. Imagine what would happen if, and, and I like the fact that they didn't let the, the reality that five fish, excuse me, five loaves and two fish, we can do the math, that's not going to feed the crowd. They just released what they had. All they did, they didn't, they didn't fret, they didn't moan, they didn't groan, they didn't say, oh, it's just so small, it's a terrible offering, and they didn't, they didn't do that. They just released what they could, and Jesus said, that's plenty. That's just plenty. That's what he'll do in your life. So if you can't give the, you know, the gold star donation, can you give a, a sardine? Can, can you give a, 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 a piece of bread? Can you give what you might deem as something insignificant and put it in the one, the hands of the one who's all significant and just trust him that when you release it to him, he's going to do far above and beyond anything that you could have done by holding on to it. And if we'll, ju- it's faith, it's trust, it's believing. And of course, when the little boy did it, he, he got to eat too. I mean, he got, he got his five loaves, his two fish back, plus some. And I just, I, I like, again, sanctified imagination. If I'm that little kid, I'm looking, by the way, if you're saying I don't read about any little kid, he's in the other gospels accounts of this. Um, if I'm the little kid, I'm probably at some point thinking, oh, I see now what happens when you release what you've got to the to the Lord. Look at all these people. They're eating and they're eating and they're eating. And they're, those disciples, those are my heroes, and they're eating and and it's all because I gave what mom put in the paper bag. and I think, guys, that maybe there's a call for us to ret- return to some childlike innocence about our giving. And just get back to the place where it's fun again. You know, we live in a hostile, dollar-clutching world. That is not fit for the children of God. That we, you know, we, it's old cliche, we came into the world with open hands. We're going to leave with open hands. Take nothing with us. And so, worship team, y'all come on up, please. It was not only everybody satisfied, but there was an overflow of abundance. And in verse 43, 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. 12 baskets. By the way, somebody was counting that day. The CFO, whoever it was. Oh, I think it was Judas. Uh. The Bible said he had the, he had the money bag, so bad point. Delete that from the tape, please, so... But regardless, the, the, the Holy Spirit inspired the record that they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. The Lord hasn't changed. Your life can be, and I'm not selling anything here. I'm, I'm telling you my biblical convictions. Your life can be 12 baskets fuller than it presently is if you'll release what you have. You have to release if you have any expectation. Most people are saying, well, trouble not the master. I don't want him to go to all that trouble for me. I'll just manage what I've got and let him take care of everybody else. No, my friend, that's not his desire because let me tell you, you might be able to manage your money on your own, but you can't know the joy of partnering with God in your finances on your own. And the Lord wants to get in there with you. There's some of you that can live at a much higher level of material success than you currently are if you will really begin to trust. And you say, well, Jeff, that sounds terrible. No, because kingdom people, when they receive, they go and take what they receive and they sow it again. The seed is supplied to the sower. Why? Because the faithful sower can be entrusted with more seed because he or she will take that seed and sow it back into the kingdom field that brings a harvest. That's the way it's supposed to work. So it hadn't worked that way in my life. Well, I'm going to challenge you. Are you sowing? Are you proactively, intentionally, open-handedly with childlike confidence in an awesome God? Are you openly saying, I'm going to put his word to the test? I'm going to see if God really does bless like he says he'll bless. I dare you to do it. I double dog dare you. I double dog dare you and put a cherry on top if that's permissible. I'm telling you, I have no problem exhorting you in this because he promises that he will bless that way. And those 12 baskets aren't for us to put in our barns. In store, that fish and that bread will go moldy overnight. No, it's to do what? It's to feed all the other hungry people, to take care of kingdom business, amen? I want you to stand to your feet this morning.